Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Good morning, everyone. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap, and it's Saturday, August 8th, 2020. Good morning, Jason. How you doing, man? Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning, everybody. I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, here we are in the beginning of the second week of uh, August, and we are apparently going to hell in a handbasket. Um, <laughs> I saw you on Tucker the other day, man. It was awesome. Yeah, I, it was. It was a great opportunity to sort of talk about what some of these, not just educators. I mean, I mean, but Lashawn Ford. Lashawn Ford, the world's biggest idiot right now. But yeah, yeah, talking about abolishing history. Yeah, and, that's a brilliant uh, history idea. classes. Yeah, so got to talk about because that's that's going to spread like that's spreading already like wildfire in other uh, universities and departments, universities across the country and K through twelve schools. Yeah, um, I, so. I think one of the things, uh, Jason, that has to happen, um, and I think that's what we're going to talk about today is there's this this trend toward madness that's going on. And um, in our quest to create peace, what's happened is a lot of people have stood down and, and said, well, you know, how bad can it get, you know? And I think what's really required is there really needs to be now the uh, infusion of boundaries and barriers to the insanity that's going on. Um, you know, because there's just, this is, it, it, and what I mean by that is, not physical boundaries or barriers, but just say no. Like it, you got to just stop this stuff. It's it's devolving into, um, you know. I love your phrase. You know, we're creating a feral culture almost. You know, yes. And, and it's uh, this this Lashawn Ford. I I don't even understand where he's coming from. You know. Well, look, these people are like I said. What's <clears throat> what's permeating our educational system, which mm -hmm. you know is a trickle down effect. It's going to affect. Uh, free speech. It's going mm -hmm. to affect everyone in America. It starts. It starts with these politicians, and it, it starts with the educational system, because uh, the two are in collusion. Is systemic nihilism, right? Yeah. These people are. Look, this is the Antichrist. And when I say Antichrist, what I mean is, it's. A, I, mean, I mean it's metaphorically. It's a kind no, of no. level of consciousness. Yeah. That is. That is. Um. In some sense. Uh, preventing us from achieving higher and higher level of consciousness. You know, Jay, it's so funny you bring that up. When, when I first started this radio show a year and a half ago with my former partner, Bob, the first conversation we had was really about the fact that what, what I saw coming was basically a metaphorical angelic conflict, right? Like literally good versus evil, critical thinking versus uh, the just pure reaction, um, the idea that, you know, to be living just on our feelings and have that yeah. run the whole show and which is, which ultimately devolves into living only from fear and survival. And then, and like you said, with nihilism, um, nothing matters other than what you want, you know? And there's nothing to replace it. I mean, the, the, the nihilists, yeah. The, yeah. The nihilists want to destroy the good for the sake of being the good values, attack values, uh, for the sheer fact that they exist as values and replace them. That's one of the definitions of nihilism and replace them with nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's like tearing down the system and then saying, we'll see what we build afterwards. 
But, you know, this is a larger movement, Mike. This is yeah. a movement that has been going on uh, since, I think, the end of the Cold War. I you think know, since the 1960s to destroy I, I was, Western civilization. I was going to say, it. I think it began with the Kennedy assassination. You know, put it at the Kennedy assassination. Okay. You know, it, it, well, that was like the, the, it, of course it started before that because, yeah. of, but, but what John Kennedy represented was a new way. Like, well, it, it actually started, you know, after World War II and what Eisenhower talked about the, you know, the, the destruction of, of America by the military industrial complex. Right. And this, this kind of elite group that was going to kind of run things. And, you know, we've been pushing up against that. And then there's been this, it, it's been just really, I just really started looking at this stuff in depth and it's, it's a little bit freaky, but you know, freedom and the idea of American America has been under attack since the very beginning, you know, since when, since the very beginning of America, Yeah, you know? of course. you know, cause it's, it's, it's America, America is not like the other parts of the world to no. be, to be people that to be sovereign people to actually be able to be free doesn't didn't exist anywhere else in the world there were always these these kings or these dictators or something that kind of you lived under their rule and this is this is you know personal sovereignty and so this is a, a remarkable and radical idea that's what has that is i think you're i think you make an excellent point i agree with you that america has always been under attack since its inception mm -hmm. what has changed however in the yeah. quite recently is that um and again you know i voted for obama the first time i didn't sure. vote for anyone the second time but i think you know since since the end of the cold war we have yeah. seen the diminution of america's power decline yeah um i'm a pugnacious uh neoconservative hawk. I think America should be ruling most of the world because most of those savage rinky-dinky <laughs> nations don't deserve their sovereignty. They're, they're backward. They're, they're just, they're, they don't know a damn thing about democracy or how to run their nations. And that's why we have so many refugees and so many stateless people. We should just take them over and just, and just yeah. annex them, but that's not going to happen. But anyway, what I wanted to say is that, you know, Americans never really uh, apologize for American exceptionalism. No, and and so we've become apologists yes. for the values which are founded in Enlightenment values, really, and we've apologized for our exceptionalism or greatness, and that has weakened us. That yeah. has made us ripe for the takeover of these fascist nihilists that you see uh, reducing us to grunting snarks farm <laughs> animals by you know attacking reason, attacking yeah. logic, a, 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 attacking the educational system. Uh, it's because we are, we have become a people, um, Americans, I'm speaking, have become mm -hmm. a people who are either guilty for the accusations that have been hurled against us, that we're an imperialistic, we're not, as far as I'm concerned, we're not even imperialistic enough. You talk about imperialism, look at, look at Japan yeah. at the height of its imperial power, right? Um, so we have bought into a kind of narrative that we are an evil nasty mean-spirited nation when we're the benefactor of most of the freaking world and uh and the same with europe yeah the same with europe europe is now over europe is a museum piece yes it is yes it is and i i think what you're pointing to and, and that's i too voted for obama the first time 
And I observed his incredible weakness throughout his eight years in office. And it started with the apologizing. You know, you can be responsible without being wimpy. You know, you can, uh, you can own your mistakes. And, and clearly with the George Bush administration, there was a mistake made. You know, we started a war we shouldn't have, right? What was behind that, I'm not sure, but it was an error, okay? And that doesn't mean you have to crawl on your belly and kiss the rumps of the, you know, these people that will just cut your head off if they get, you know, half a... These two-bit thugs yeah. that run the And, and that's what Obama countries. did. Well, Obama was our first, at least I think, our first beta male president. And he demonstrated all the classic beta characteristics, you know, of passive aggressiveness, uh, you know, indirectness, uh, you know, just as I start to watch him, I, I didn't mind him that much because he's a, he's a, you know, a charming guy, but I start looking at him now and I'm, I'm thinking this guy was horrible and he needs to be out of the system, you know, out of the way. And, but, but in a way he's just a symptom of, America's he, he, really he's, hypocritical and yeah. inconsistent foreign policy that had been in existence for 50 years, um, yeah, at least since the end of the Cold War. You know, so I, I mean, Obama is just like he's not a real leader. He was just someone who he's a bureaucrat who inherited a role, yeah, and played the role according to the script. And the script was America's. If you look at America's foreign policy, it's been disastrous. It's been we support right wing dictators. And they protect American assets like Pinochet and the Shah of Iran, who who Sabak would make, you know, Hitler's um Panzerman look like kindergarten teachers, actually. Yeah. And but we overthrow left-wing dictators uh like Allende. So we we stand for freedom and we stand for democracy and we stand for progress and we stand for but we support right-wing dictators. Foreign policy has been hypocritical. We have yeah. not always stood for the principles we've stood no. for. And so I think, you know, to, for America to, to get back on track, I don't even look at the particular leaders sometimes. I just look at the, the, what they inherit yeah. and, and who's, who's strong enough, who's a leader enough to change that narrative, to change that script. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And let's yeah. come back and talk about that. And I think it's going to begin really with what do we have to – like, we got to fix ourselves first, and then we can go and help the rest of the world. But we'll be back in two minutes, everybody. This is Mike and Jason. This is Into the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill, Aerosmith, and WCGO Chicago. I like it. I like it very much. Yeah, well, I like I love landslide. What we went out with before, that's uh, Aerosmith. I just who's the guy, the lead singer from Aerosmith? He just cracks me up. He's a yeah, but anyway, I actually don't know. But I, I yeah, I, his name what? Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler is the oh the guy with the big hair. Yeah, he's got big hair and and he's got lips that looks like he's injected like a hundred gallons of silicone into. Yeah, and he's yeah, okay. he, he he looks okay. yeah he's hilarious. He's hilarious. <laughs> He's just uh, you know, he's got got tons of kids, right? He's got that beautiful daughter, Liv Tyler, who's an actress. No, I know him. No, yeah, I just, I just remember. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's like the the quintessential '70s frontman rock star, you know. Yeah. So yeah, he's when you think of rock star, you got to think of Steven Tyler. So anyway, man, yeah, we're talking about um, 
kind of the nihilism that's driving the show. Um, Jay, I'm curious, what's your perspective on how did this all get so crazy? Like, what was what was the tipping point, or has this just been an evolutionary thing where we just didn't allow it, didn't put an end to it? It's been an evolutionary thing that's been going on, like I said, since uh, since this it happened with I think the civil rights movement, of course, which is mm-hmm. a wonderful yeah uh, movement that that allowed blacks and and women. Uh, into mm-hmm. the domain of the ethical, into the pantheon of the human community, and and gave blacks uh, full admittance before the law, yeah, legal standing before the law. With the civil rights movement came a lot of other movements, like the women's movement, which mm-hmm. is a good thing as yeah. well. But what emerged, I think, in in institutions of higher learning were these fake disciplines, right? Yeah. Um, these, these disciplines that stood for advocacy and not for scholarship. And there was a, a, a revolution in education mm-hmm. where an attack was being made on uh, reason, on the, 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 the values of America, the values of Western civilization itself in the name of the following, that those very same values were what had oppressed or used to justify the oppression of people of color, of mm-hmm. women. And so this attack and this assault, this anti-Americanism, which before World War II, I mean, we had people like Lionel Trilling and communists yeah. and socialists who were regarded as fringe lunatic lunatic uh, elements of, of society, on the margins of yeah. society. But I think what happened was that this became mainstreamed I mean, kids were being taught anti-Americanism, anti-capitalism, anti-Western values, and it became normalized and mainstreamed. Yeah. And I think what has happened in the past three years is that with a certain degree of progressivism, which mm-hmm. I find myself as an independent conservative who's also quite libertarian yeah. and, and has a strong, uh, uh, so, who's socially very uh, liberal, yeah, but with a with a strong degree of progressivism, like with you know marital equality for mm-hmm. gays and mm-hmm. the rise of transgenderism and all of that, with all of these progressive what I call egalitarian movements, have also come a set of vocabularies and a dialogue that tends now to it's a revolution. It yeah. takes because it, it takes almost a kind of revolt and rebellion against the system to demand that gays should have equality before the equal equal rights to marry as i support uh it takes it takes not just gumption but it takes a sort of effrontery against the system to demand all these extra rights to be a protected class of citizen mm-hmm. and i think with that mike has come um, a wholesale um sweeping under the rug of everything that western values have stood for and rather than, you see, this is where silence is really dangerous, and yeah. this is where hypocrisy is dangerous. Rather than conservatives, and this is why I think you know, like conservatives just need to get over a lot of their homophobia and yeah. their issues. Absolutely. Rather than rather than conservatives stand up and say, "Look, there are divergent ways of living the good life that are consistent and compatible with being in America." Yep. We had we had a fake culture. We had a set of fake culture wars. There should never have been a cultural war between gay people and religious straight people. Right. So long as gay people don't want to impose and homosexualize 
every single American, which I don't think was the agenda of gay people in the first place. No, I, so to answer your question, this is what happened. I yeah. think that with the progressivism of certain political uh, movements, or the progressivism, I should say, to be more grammatically correct, that, that, that uh, foundationalized certain political movements, came a certain uh, move away, movement away from Western values and American values, because those became associated with the man, yeah. with, the ra- with racism, with imperialism, with domination. So when you read today the syllabus, this, the instructions coming out of colleges, decolonize your syllabus, decolonize your syllabus, which means eradicate it of all European dead white European males, make it more inclusive, make it more, which is not a bad thing, making a syllabus more inclusive. Sure. But that's not their agenda. So I think the short answer of your question, Mike, really is that with the progressive inclusion of people who had heretofore been excluded from what I call the domain of the ethical, yeah. simultaneously came a torrential uh, outpouring of um, a different kind of narrative, which saw Western values and American values as inimical to its identity politics, yeah. the ascendancy of identity politics yeah. as inimical to their existence. Yeah, you know, I, I speak now. I speak as a gay conservative, yeah, independent conservative. I don't think American values or or Western values are inimical to my liberation as a gay person. Actually, I fled Jamaica to come here mm-hmm. to live openly as a gay person, and I think that it is the the values of Western civilization, the emancipatory vocabularies yeah. of Western civilization that I rely on to argue for why my rights as an individual, first of all, should not be violated because I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah, Jay, you know, you, you bring up so many rich points. What, what I'm hearing in this, though, is so as, as people start progressing and start standing for new and greater rights, what mm-hmm. I think happened on the conservative side was they kind of didn't engage didn't inquire. Right. There was no curiosity. Then when they learn, they get offended. So yes. the first people that got offended were the conservatives. Now it's a liberal phenomena that they get offended with everything. But yes, but so so it's this whole idea of getting offended, mm-hmm. you know, and this which which generates fear. When in fact, if there's something you don't understand, for me, I would get curious and actually step in and engage with and try to understand it greater. But that's not going on. So right. we've, we've created this polarization. Then you, you, you spoke about also the, um, the capturing of the vocabulary and the language. And now we've got this almost totalitarian approach toward language that you can't say these words and you can't say this word and I can't express myself here. And you've got to be woke. And if you're not woke, you're a racist. And if you're a racist and you're evil and you've got to be er- eradicated and canceled. And that's just insane. Yeah. There's, there's no... There's no point of interaction where I can actually ask a question and discover. Yes. You know, and, and I think that's creating more and more the polarization of this. Whole thing. Yes. And it's yes. lining up in every, like you said, it's, it's this identity politics. There's on one side, there's this identity. On the other side, there's this identity. And, there's, and I don't think most people fit inside either one of those. I think most people are in the middle. Yes. You know? right. I, right. Just, I just got through, you know, riding the back roads of America. You know, I met a lot of people who think this is all nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, that th- what the hell is going on? And yeah. and they and it's it, it Jay, it's gotten so weird 
they don't even know what questions to ask. <laughs> you know, right? It's like they're dropped in the middle of a, a science fiction movie. Like, what's going on? You know, and and there's just this, you know, on one side this this angry mob, and this other side is this, just this in, immovable structure. You know, mm-hmm. and and I'm really concerned with how this is going to go. And I don't think the election is going to change anything. Well, I don't think the election will change that much uh, the, in terms of uh, the culture wars that are yeah. going on. Or I think the, I think the election could change a lot of things. Do I mean, you? That's not that's I mean, I, right. So I think, you know, election, the elections will a change of presidency could see a change in foreign policy and how domestic yeah. policies are enacted. But in terms of what bothers me more yeah. is um, uh, the decline of America and yeah. um, the debt that we're in, first of all, uh, the decline of America, uh, the reputation of America. I mean, I think that's going to take a long time. Yeah. Uh, and I think getting back to what you said, that um, instead of looking to you know the new president or the same president or a different administrative set of bodies. Mm-hmm. We need to really look within. And exactly. You and I have talked about this on the show that, you know, for the, the 90s were, that's when I was in graduate school, doing my PhD, and that's when I got my first job too. And it was a wonderful period. Yeah. It was a period of, <laughs> of like the period right before the decline of the Roman Empire. <laughs> it kind of was. It was opulence and... Bill Clinton was left us with a sur- a massive. People forget that the president yeah. left us with a massive surplus, which George yeah. Bush destroyed. Yeah. Um, and I don't dislike George Bush. I actually am fond of the past president. <laughs> you but, think you know, he's we got cute. addicted to this crass materialism. <laughs> yeah. You know, we got addicted yeah. to 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 uh, we started we started privatizing what should have been. Um, that's a bad way of saying it. What am I saying? We we started to become these really insulated creatures who lived in our own curated silos. BMWs and mansions, man. That's yeah, what, that's that, all. It, that's, that's all what that it really became. mattered. Yeah, BMWs and mansions, dude. That's the suburb. You know, the you know, a, a sales guy is going to build himself four thousand square foot house in the suburbs and drive a BMW. That's what the nineties were. Yeah, you know, and it was uh, it was it was pure consumerism and it was a party and it was a frat house. It was a frat we, house. We had a cultural frat house. Um, yeah. And, and it was, it was fun. Listen, frat houses are fun. I spent four years in them, you know, they're, they're a good time, but they can also be highly destructive if you're not responsible, but Hey, listen, we got to take a break again. Um, let's come back. Let's, let's get back on, on a task here and let's really talk about the impact of the grammar thing in, in, uh, Rutgers, and also this uh, LaShawn Ford and his idea of getting rid of history and uh, no. find out what, what that the impact of that is, okay? We'll be back okay. in two minutes, everyone. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap, WCGO Chicago. Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app, Tune in or wcgoradio.com. The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Find it, rate it, and subscribe. 
If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeShrek at gmail.com. Dallas Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said, a coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision or you know there's another level you can go to, please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debrief, a $550 value free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on. Hey, we're back. Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill, Into the Gap, WCGO. My favorite Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun. I love this. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Jay, we were we were going to talk about uh, Representative LaShawn Ford and his idea of removing history from the curriculum. And, yeah. and it's not so much as removing history. It's, it's like the idea behind it and what it really means for us culturally, right? Yeah, right. And uh, in the break, you were talking about the, the idea of really looking within and returning to civic-mindedness and you know, I'd love to hear you continue saying what you're talking about. Well, you know, I am a I am a geek, so I'm an avid reader of world <laughs> history and of world dictatorships. And yeah. what LaShawn Ford is advocating is exactly what they did in the Soviet Union. Yes. What they have done in China. Yes. What they've done in Iran with the People's Republic, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Islamic Republic. Uh, it's what happens when any dictatorship is about to assume. Yeah its position they yeah. erase history yeah and one of the re- one of the ways that you erase history is uh and and what does history do so let's 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 let's, let's be very clear yeah one of the one of the reasons that we have history is that among other things mm-hmm. it's not just a pastime event where we just read history for the sake of reading history it gives us a a, a method and a a way of testing we have the historical record, a backdrop against which to, which to test our time-worn and time-tested principles, which secure the foundation on which our lives are built. Mm-hmm. So when students say to me, why should I respect your freedom of speech or any other freedom of speech? I can say, well, go to the Constitution, look at the First Amendment, and I can show them a set of historical documents dating back to the birth of liberalism in Europe, which explains really clearly why your very survival depends on your right, your conscience, and to your mind. So history is a great way that we have of appraising the present yeah. by, by recounting the past, by looking to the past. So when you shut down history, you shut down the individuals or you shut down a society's ability to access a historical record as a way of both defending its present and its future, uh, its expectations in the future, but its present way of of how it functions, how people are living. And uh, you create, and this is what, (laughs) this is what Trotsky, this is what Lenin, and this is certainly what Stalin all were after. You you erase history and you create the new man. 
a new woman. This is certainly what Hitler was doing. Yeah. You create the new society. In order to create the new society, you've got to eradicate all vestiges of the past. Yeah. Right. So I hope Americans are really paying attention to what's going on. We are witnessing the erasure of all history, good, bad, in between, so yeah. that a new set of uh, a new movement can come in and establish a new order. And that is historically how all fascist and authoritarian regimes yeah. have come to power. They have started by erasing history, burning the books, yep. right? Uh, burning the museums, burning all the annals of history and all the repositories that record the historical past have been annihilated. Jay, one of the things you're talking about, the, the erasure of history, also then gets into the erasure of individual sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this kind of mass, you, you become part of a, a greater good as opposed to being an individual component of a larger system. And, right. and what that does, it, the thing I see happens with that, number one, all of a sudden the perspective the individual is operating on is their dependency on the government or the leadership or whatever it is. And, and basically what that is, is enslavement. Mm -hmm. And, and what. I think the, the, the thing that makes America, America is its foundation, you know, the foundation of America is its individual sovereignty. And for individual sovereignty to occur, there has to be personal responsibility and it has to, it has to be, begin, as we've talked about almost every week now, really looking within and becoming self-aware, self-reliant and personally responsible for how your life goes. And when I, when I watch the 10 seconds of news every day, what I see is, you know, what's the government going to give me to make my life better? You know, how are they going to take care of me? How are they going to take care of what's going on? And, and that's what I see is missing. There's, we, we, and and it's, it, it seems like a systemic approach to trying to remove as much personal freedom and individual sovereignty as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's really, really scary to me. Yeah. And um, so what do you see is the next steps then to, uh, to restore our individual sovereignty, our ability to get free again, or to be free, or express our freedom? Well, to begin with, people need to, um, you know, I, I think after having lived here for 35 years and, yeah. and loving this great republic of ours. I Which have is remarkable because you look like you're 25 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, Americans have become, uh, we, I used to think of Americans as more what I call morally ambitious people. Yeah. And I used to respect having lived in the South and having taught and in, in urban universities and rural universities. Yeah. Um, I used to have a great respect for the common man and his or her ability to, to, to think. Mm -hmm. And I think what has happened is that people have become just lazy. We've talked about this on the show. People yeah. need to start to restore that sovereignty yeah. and, uh, and to restore that autonomy. We've got to divest ourselves from this tribalistic collectivist. And it's on the right and on the left. And it, yep. it disappoints me when I see the word individualism and individuality uh, missing from the conservative viewpoint, because I think conservatives are as tribalistic as, 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 yes. as, as leftists are. 
So we've got to start thinking for ourselves again, thinking critically yeah. um, and appraising um, the actions and the policies and the viewpoints of our fellow citizens. And I don't mean just like having a mindless opinion, like what you're saying offends me because right. who gives a hoot whether you're <laughs> offended? You have a democratic right to be offended. Yeah. Examine the source of your offensiveness. What is the root of your offensiveness? What, like think we need to start thinking, but incidentally, you know, these nihilists are careful because, you know, when Rutgers says grammar is racist yeah. and we're going to start teaching in critical grammar and engage in social justice in alignment with Black Lives Matter. Yeah. What they're doing is they're, a language is a, is a tool of cognition. It's the method by which we think and, uh, and then communicate. And so if you hijack the individual's mind and you prevent him from thinking by attacking the Grammar, which is one way that it's a it's a science that deals with the the, the formulation of the rules of written yep. and oral um, communication. You attack that, then you of course you attack the individual's mind to think yeah. cognitively. You hide, you handicap him. Then you can just take away his history. Yeah. So this 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 is really serious. I mean, yes. I I think what it will take is for first of all, it's going to take something really really catastrophic. Um like um it really infesting every aspect of american life mm -hmm. like you talked about the rural areas yeah. areas but i think when you see k through 12 when some of these policies start trickling down into the like the rural schools mm -hmm. and um and it will uh, it's not just an urban urban phenomenon i think i think you know it, it's 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 going to affect every aspect of American life eventually. But some people need to be hit over the head two times to know that two plus two equals four. And then some people can sort of like observe trends, look at the premises that are predominant in a culture. And then they don't have to be like clairvoyance or prognosticators. They can say, this is likely to happen because I see the dominant trends that are operative in our culture today. Yeah. When you operate from those, those premises, People are likely to behave a certain way, and the consequences of those behaviors are likely to be this. So I, people have to start thinking. They have to start using their minds. I'm shocked at how lazy people are in their thinking Jay, and how I'm, quickly I'm, they shut down their thinking. I'm not sure it's laziness as much as just fear. You know, I just went on this road trip, right? And I, I rode 3,069 miles in seven days. So whatever that works out to be, 400 miles a day across, let's just call it Trump's America because I don't want to mm -hmm. say where I was because if I did, then someone may say I need to be quarantined. If I'm not quarantined, I'm going to get arrested. So. so let's just say I traveled across Trump's America, right? And I met a lot of people. And what I've noticed is this, this whole, from the very beginning when they came out with the COVID-19, right? Like millions were going to die. Well, that, that hasn't happened. People have gotten afraid. And then with the Black Lives Matter, that's all intended to instill fear in people on all sides. And so when people are in fear, the first place they go is to their own self-preservation and their own survival. And it's, there is a complete absence of critical thinking. There's a complete, think, about, think about when you're teaching your kids, right? Mm -hmm. If they're scared, if they're afraid of, of surviving your class, What's their performance going to be? 
But if they're actually empowered and engaged and aligned with you and listening to what you're saying and you're doing your job as an instructor and a teacher, opening their minds, what's available there? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's happened. And from fear comes control. From empowerment comes this opening up creativity and, and, and critical thinking. And the only person who can make that decision is the person who's choosing, do I, do I want to be in fear or do I want to be you know, empowered? And the right. gate for that is courage. Right. And it's understanding that, yes, I am afraid first, you know, and not running for the hills. We, we've, we've engaged in a process where fear is running the show, and the only thing we're, we're, we're hiding in place, we're hunkering down, which implies like we're waiting for this to pass. Nothing's going to pass. This is the way it is. And so we've got to engage in this thing and we've got to start developing courage and, you know, uh, the, the critical thinking and, and the, the questioning that what we're going to need because no one's got the answer. But that, that's just a perspective I have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. I, I, I just want people to know that when you stop thinking, mm-hmm. you become a social ballast. And when you become a social ballast, you make yourself fit for the junk, the dustbin of history, and you become ignoble junk for other people to take over. Your body and your mind becomes uh, just ignoble junk Dude. for people like to just use that's perfect. Like a vehicle. We got to take a break, our last break, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that because that's exactly what's going on. So we'll be back in two minutes. This is Mike. This is Jay. This is Into the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill, this is Into the Gap. How you doing? We're going to um, start the fire. Yeah. I know. Who is that? I have to, I, that that's not one of my Billy Joel. Yeah, he's not no. one of my favorite guys. That's all right. He's good, though. He's good. That, that uh, play, Miss Saigon, was a great play. Was he in that? Yeah. That, 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 anyway, I digress. You were talking about social ballast. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, as, as we're on break, I'm thinking... This show's a little heavy and a little dark today, and mostly, you know, there's some infusion of humor and lightheartedness. And, um, Not dark enough. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, Jay. I think we've, you know, if we're going to play any role, I think we've got to start playing the role of truth tellers. And, exactly. And, um, and I have a, you know, I, I think I'm blessed with seeing the disaster that's impending. And sometimes I make light of it because I'm of the belief that there's no disaster that's not overcomable, right? Mm-hmm. But it's getting serious, I think. And it's, it's time, like, we have to wake up. And, and for me, particularly, it's men. Like, we got to stop sitting on the sidelines and letting the guys with the, uh, the pink uh, cat hats, shall we say, you know, out there dictate the way our lives are going to go. And, and like what you're talking about, the social ballast of like joining the herd and not contributing anything and just pulling and consuming mm-hmm. has, has gotten to the point where, you know, it will break us. You know, yeah. we, we are not, America is not guaranteed. Freedom is not free. This, this, this is a giant social experiment mm-hmm. and it can crash and burn in any second. You know, Ronald Reagan said we were one generation away from losing this thing. And it's been two generations now that have been conditioned to, to be nothing more than consumers. Yeah. And, and so I, I am actually concerned. 
I just rode through, you know, like I said, 3,000 miles looking through the country, and what I saw was an intre- incredible amount of fear mm-hmm. and a, 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 a lack of ownership of the issue, a, 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 a lot of people waiting for us to get back to normal, you know, and a lot of, like, avoiding dealing with what needs to be dealt with. And, um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. Not everybody, there's a lot of people just said enough's enough, but, but it's, we've gotten, we've become a very passive culture, Mm -hmm. which is not what I think of when I think of America, you know, Mm -hmm. when I think of America, I think of John Wayne, I think of Clint Eastwood, right? That's not passive. And, and since the, and, and with, as you said, Obama was not the cause. He's the, the he's the symptom, but he is the one who represented the most passivity of anyone. And and I, I and, and it's but there's also a passive aggressiveness to it, which is not how we operate. If we're aggressive, we're like in your face aggressive. You know? Right. And, well, and I know bold. I mean uh, I think both the left and the right, because look, I, I agreed. I would I would say that Trump also, you know, one minute he's tough on China, the next yeah. minute he's courting, you know, that thug in North North Korea. Uh wanting to give him um, uh, Elton John's rocket man. And yeah. then, then he's closing up to Vladimir Putin, which I still to this I, day, I, Ronald Reagan must be turning in his grave. I don't understand that at all. Bro. I just don't understand it. So, you know, I, I, I want to keep things balanced here. And yeah. I, you know, I think the right is just as, 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 as culpable. Well, you know, they and, are, they are because they've been sitting on their hands. Nobody said anything. You, you, you look at Mitch McConnell, his strategy is rope he just sits there silently and gets in the way. There's been right. no leadership. There's no leadership. You know uh, the the rights the rights is equally responsible. And, Absolutely. And, and um, you know now we're proposing sanctions on China for how they're treating Hong Kong. Finally, finally, yeah. you know we, we 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 realize that America stands for allegedly stands for freedom of speech and the, the evil Chinese government. And it's an evil government. It's as evil as as it's part of the axis of evil, as far as I'm. Concerned, yeah. yeah. Uh, the government, not the people. Right. Uh, uh, that the citizens of Hong Kong, uh, who are freedom-loving people like mm-hmm. the Americans, are having their civil liberties squashed. And so now, you know, the president finally—I don't know why—just last month or decided to impose sanctions. Um, so, but this is what I mean by our foreign policy being disastrous, our leaders being inconsistent, yeah. just following a narrative, uh, not not having a principled, well-integrated, thought-out, executed, consistent, comprehensive American way of life, of policy that still allows for divergence, that allows for, you know, varied ways of life. But just this is just like one example that that I'm pointing to. Like, why are we all of a sudden just now hectoring China? I mean, about their treatment of the citizens of Hong Kong. Because we no longer live by our values, Jim. We, yeah. li- we live by what's expedient. We live by what's going to make us the most money. We live, it's the decision-making model, which is the context in which we live from. We've lost contact and lost sight with our values as a country and our values as people. Yeah. And, the, and, and foundational to that, we've lost sight of and became disconnected to the very constitution that we operate by yeah you know 
in, in the Declaration of Independence, which is what created this thing. In, 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 in the Declaration of Independence, there's that phrase to create a more perfect union, right? That first and foremost implies we're not perfect. We'll, right. we'll probably never be perfect. So when we're not perfect, we've got to own our imperfections, not from a place of apology, but from a place of understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing a construction project and you go into a site and you're going to rehab it, you know, and renovate it, you don't make an apology for the condition of it. You just notice, oh, this is a condition of it. And this is where we're at. And there's a place we can go. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's no, it's not emotional. It, it's, there's no judgment about it. It's just, it's time to renovate. Yes. And, and I think that's, that's what we got to look at. And, and somehow we, we've got this thing that it's supposed to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. There's this forward movement. It's a constant work in process. And I think the key word gets to what you're talking about, which is the laziness, which is it's a constant work. We have to work at this. And, you know, it seems to me, and I don't know, I haven't been on a college campus in a while, though I'm starting again in in September. I didn't tell you that. I'm going to grad school. But um, it seems like there's not a a, a strong desire for work, you know. And and we're we're no longer um, looking to improve ourselves we just want to maintain the status quo and think we're right i don't know i don't know what that's about but yeah it's crazy but well we've lost our aspiration a lot of us uh present company accepted of course but and i think the same goes for you accepted yeah. but a, a lot of americans for understandable reasons have lost their what i call their aspirational identities yeah you know we used to have strong aspirational identities where we weren't satisfied with where we are and we wanted to aspire to become we had a vision of where we wanted to be and yes. who we had to become in order to get to that point. And our aspirational identities, for various reasons, um, have been shut down. We've made ambition been, wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Eclipsed. Yeah. And um, that's, a, that's tragic because that's part of what, when I talk about not just America being an exception in this country, but it's people being having traveled all over, you know, across the world, yeah. uh, Amer- Americans being an ex- excep- exceptionist people, part of that exceptionism is that aspirational identity, not being satisfied with just driving a forklift. Not that there's anything wrong with no. that, but, but that the forklift driver also has a vision for getting a promotion. And then after that promotion, another promotion, you yeah. know, and, and aspiring to expand his or her talents and, and, and capabilities um, so that the idea that there's a dead end, there's no, I used, when I came to America, I used to say, there's no such thing as a dead end job. There's yes. just, you learn a certain set of skills and you move on. We got to go, brother. All right. I, I agree with you. I think that's the, uh, that's the, that's the deal. What's next for us. So thanks everyone for listening. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is into the gap. See you next week. Take Bye. care everyone. Thank you so much.